Hey, look, um, we're kicking on, we're carrying on our journey through the Gospel of Luke uh, this morning. So um, I'm doing it old school. I have a book. But if you have a device, if you would like to enter into your search uh, area, Luke 17, verse 11, and we're going to start there. Or if you, you have a book, we're going to, as I say, Luke 17, and we're going to read uh, verse Oh, Luke 7. I was looking at it going, priests, what? That's not my, yeah, Luke 7, sorry. Helps if the preacher knows what he's going to talk about, eh? Luke 7 and uh, verse 11, and we're going to read through to verse 17. Okay, reading from uh, Luke 17, verse 11. Well done. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. That's right, eh? Okay. Gee. Jeez, oh, another 25 minutes to go. Okay. Luke 7. I've got it down. Luke 7, verse 11. Okay, here we go. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nine, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. Uh, the young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, His heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, great respect, great reverence, great awe of God. And they praised God, saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us. What Jesus had done was very much like the prophets of old, Elijah and Elisha, who was going to return in the end time. So this was a sign for them. Um, And God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. Heavenly Father, we ask that by your spirit, you would open our eyes this morning, our ears to hear and our hearts to receive from your word. Lord, you are the teacher you're the one who changes lives and changes hearts. And so, Lord, we stand, we, we, we place ourselves before your word this morning. And we ask that you would speak and transform lives and set people free in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's, um, let's kick on. So uh, there's a map here of Galilee. So if you remember uh, a couple of weeks ago before Dylan Long was with us, Sean Brooker preached. Uh, from the story just preceding this in Luke 7 about the centurion. And that was up in uh, Capernaum. And so this village of nine is about 40 kilometres south of Capernaum where the centurion's servant had been sick. And nine, you can see, is about 10k southeast of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. So this is Jesus' old stomping grounds. They would know him. They would, they would have heard of him. And, uh, and so a lot of his ministry is taking uh, place in this time in Galilee to the north. You've got Samaria and then Judea with Jerusalem way to the south. And so, so here we are, Jesus. Uh, it's spoken of as a city, but there's a bit of a village atmosphere to this whole idea of nine. Now here on Father's Day, it's interesting, the story we've just read, it's about a widow grieving for her only son and the, uh, the father's presence uh, missing just looms really large in the story, as we'll see. But if we have eyes to see, we're going to see the love and presence of a greater father who's going to be present 
through the, the presence, the incarnation, the fleshly presence of His Son, Jesus of Nazareth. So keep an eye out for that. We've got a father, an earthly father who's missing in the story, but a heavenly father who's finally come to deal with some stuff. And we're gonna look at that as we, as we move on through the story. So come with me, as Tom Wright would say, and let the force and the power of the story sweep over you. It's a phenomenal story as we just delve in it because the Gospels can be very concise and succinct in the way they speak. But let's, let's, let's take some time to move through this. Uh, imagine the scene. It's a, it's a hot day in Galilee. I think most days are hot there. It's a hot day. And uh, amazing, the crowd, the crowd is walking a few paces behind uh, the body is being carried on a burial plank. It's not a coffin. It's not a closed coffin like we would think. It would be a plank, a buyer, and, and the body would be wrapped in cloth and, and, and he would be carried at the front and then behind would come all of the people who are mourning. They've just come to the gate as Jesus is coming to the town and they sort of meet at the gate there. Uh, the death probably took place that very day because it was Jewish custom to bury on the day that the, the person was deceased, that that, that was common practice in, in places that had hot climates. And if you think about it, maybe he'd been ill for a while. And so she had been dreading this happening. Or perhaps actually it was an accident. And so she woke up that day ready to go about her chores and bang, she's at a funeral. You know, either way, there's something tragic uh, that's going on here. So the crowd moves from the family family home, they, they would move from the Fano home and they're moving to the gate and they're moving outside the city and there would be uh, to the Fano burial plot and that's how the, where they would be taking this young man. It's probably a cave. Now in that cave, the father, the husband will already be buried. After a year, his bones would have been taken down and put into what they call an ossuary, a bone box, to leave the shelf ready for the next whānau member, which is going to be the son. In the order of things, parents should never bury their children. But this woman is uh, probably in shock. You've got the professional mourners and wailers who walk, that's part of the culture, and so they're walking along and they're making heaps of noise so that the family can grieve unashamedly and noisily without being embarrassed. Uh, this honour shame thing going on. And so they're coming to the gate and Jesus is on his way with his disciples and there's a big crowd following him. So we think of this mother. Come to this, uh, how the Bible describes the deceased. Um, the only son of his mother and she was a widow. That's a poignant statement, man. That's a heartbreaking statement. Luke three times will talk about an only child. It seems to be something he picks up on in the stories that the other writers don't so much. He'll talk about Jairus' daughter and he'll talk about a, a, a young boy who's, who's, who's struggling later on. Uh, and so three times he'll talk about an only child. And then the focus of the story will move from this young man to the, to the woman herself. Uh, she is bearing her only son. So we have the grief of a mother who is burying the baby that she bore. I don't know about you, but I'm just aware that there's a connection between mother and child that father and child don't have. You know, it's not, they're, they're, they're two great things, but it's different because there's something physical. They have carried them in the womb. Womb love is the, is the Hebrew translation for the Hebrew word compassion. 
It's womb love. It speaks of a mother's love. And she is bearing the baby that she has born who has grown to manhood, who, would, who was gonna take care of her in her old age. Now she's burying her baby. Not only that, she has already buried her man. And so in, the, in this ancient biblical culture, in the patriarchal times, there's been no first wave, fem, no Kate Shepard, no first wave feminism, no second wave feminism, no third wave feminism. In this patriarchal society, if you do not have a male protector and provider, you are vulnerable. It's the whole theme of the book of Ruth. You are vulnerable. And so not only is she in shock, but the future looks pretty tenuous, Hopeless harrowing, distressing. This is, a, this is a woman who is, she now has no future. She is without hope. She is widowed and her only son, her hope for security is gone, let alone the heartbreak that she's enduring. Now have a look at the Bible uh, that, that you've got there. We read in verse 13, when the Lord saw her. Now one of the things when you move through the gospel, you realise here is the first time that Jesus is referred to as the Lord. First time. And so, so what we're going to see in the gospel from here on in is, who do you think Jesus is? And so that's going to be a big question. Big question for us today. Who do you say Jesus is? If He's Lord, then you're not. Then, then, then there's, no other self, there's no other way to happiness or hope or, or salvation except through Him. You know, some people think He's a good teacher. Some people think He's a great prophet, good man. Some people don't think he existed. But what you think of Jesus is important. That's going to be a major theme in the gospel from now on. Who do you say Jesus is? Well, Luke is real staunch from this point. But when the Lord saw her, and that has connotations to the divine name of God, all the way back in the Old Testament. So the Lord, when the Lord saw her, and I love this, when the Lord saw her, now I'm reading this and as I'm preparing, I can't help but unpack this. You know, you may think, oh, you're reading a bit too much into this. So I'm, I don't know, see what you think. But it says, when the Lord saw her, when he saw her. Now for me, that takes me back to Genesis 16. Let me, let me unpack it for you. In Genesis 16, we have a guy called Abraham. You know him, you've heard of him, father of Israel and his wife, Sarah. Now they can't have a baby so, so she does what the culture allows her. She takes her handmaiden, her servant, Hagar, an Egyptian, and she lets her sleep with his, her husband. And he has a son by the name of Ishmael. And then after a while, Sarah's not happy with the dynamics and how they've shifted uh, in the household. So she starts to despise Hagar and mistreat her. So Hagar takes her son and she takes off into the desert. Vulnerable. No one to look after her. And there the angel of the Lord meets with her and speaks with her and says, look, go back. The Lord's gonna look after you and don't worry. And she's worried about her past. She, she has no idea of the future, but he says, look, this is what your son's future is gonna be. This is what your son's identity is gonna be. Go back, I've got it all in hand. And, and quite amazing, this is her poignant response. This is her poignant response. Thereafter, Hagar used another name. Note that it's a name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. Now realise that that is a name. That's a description how we have it in English. You are the God who sees me. It's a name. El Roy. You know, you've heard of um, you know, El Shaddai and the names of God. Well, that's one of the names of God. El Roy, the God who sees. Think about this. Hagar is nothing in that culture. She says, you know, 
And, and to, to, to my master Abraham, I'm not a person. To my mistress Sarah, I'm not a person. I'm just a human incubator to them. I'm just someone to have a baby. They don't care about me. I'm a slave. But you, his God, see me? You see what you, with all of your power and status, see me? It's something to be seen. If you've been in a crowd, I love it. It doesn't matter how noisy it is. And you're in a crowd and you might be feeling lonely and someone walks in that you see and they look across them. They see you. They acknowledge you. See you. You know, not talking to someone who goes, oh yeah, how are you going? Yeah, yeah. Good. You know, where people can be present, but they're not present. God is present with Hagar, who has no status, no power in the world. Ael Roi sees her. God has a plan of salvation through Abraham. Hagar's not part of that plan. But he still cares about it. Beautiful. And the same God is present. Now the Son of God walking as a man is the one who sees this widow. He sees her. He's all, he hasn't come to nine to deal with this. this he just sees her. He's aware of her suffering. He's aware of her pain. And he sees her. And so it appears he's going to do something. So let's have a look. Here we are at nine, some 2,000 years later. And the divine son of God, he was not too busy to pass, that he was going to pass by. No, he saw her. He saw her because God is El Roi, the one who sees us in our suffering and the one who comes close. Amen. Um, Esquire magazine asked 50 men, athletes, politicians, actors, business leaders, who made you the man you are today? A movie writer and actor, Tyler Perry, said this. He said, my next door neighbour very early on, Mr. Johnson, was the kindest, most gentle man I've ever met. Note these words. And he was the first person to actually see me. Not even in my house did I exist. But when he looked at me, he let me know that I was alive and that I had a voice. He remembers Mr. Johnson from when he was a child. Um, Josiah, Ostininda, and Orlando Sears, year nines at, at Hamilton Boys High School. So they, they um, are involved in, in prayer group there at Boys High, really following on from the, the work that, that uh, Jay and Kathan started when they were a similar age. And uh, one day uh, after, when, when they'd met for prayer, they thought, oh, we're going to go out and we're going to go and look for people to pray for. I don't know about you, I didn't do that when I was 13. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. So they go out and they see a guy sitting there all alone. I wouldn't have seen him at 13, too wrapped up in myself. They see this guy. They go over and they say, hey, look, are you all right? Oh, I'm, I'm a bit sick and I'm a bit cold. Oh, can we pray for you? Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. So they pray for him and he felt a bit warmer. And I'm going, wow, it's just so natural, beautiful. And I said to him, you know, next time give him your jacket for lunchtime. Hey, take care of the spiritual needs. Take care of the physical needs. Hey, read James, heart out. You know, I don't pray for them. Give him a, give him a blanket. <laughs> Give him some food. Oh, I'll pray for you. No, buy him a pie. You know, I thought, buy him a pie. Probably not good though when he's sick, but it would warm him up. <laughs> so there's logic to what I'm thinking. 
Um, but again, see, see, these boys worship a God who sees. And so they represent Him. So they're walking around the school seeing and looking. Isn't that lovely? And a great challenge for us uh, today. So we carry on through this story, this beautiful story. Uh, let's read on in uh, verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Or we read in the message, his heart broke. His heart broke. Uh, Jesus cares for this woman in her, in her suffering. His heart is moved. He sees her in, his, in her pain. He feels her suffering. And so he moves. To, he's, he's going somewhere, but he sees her and he moves towards her. He moves towards her. And... Uh, the way his heart went out to this woman in her distress is the same way that his heart goes out to us in our distress. You know, when we were praying this morning, I, don't, I personally don't know what all of you are going through. He does. And he cares. I love the words of Augustine. God loves each of us as though there's only one of us to love. That's how intense his love and, and focus is on each of us. And so here we see his love and compassion going out to this woman. And then he says to her, weird words, don't cry. You ever said that at a funeral? Seriously. Those can be cruel words. Unless you got the power to do something about it with your compassion. Don't cry. And and, and part of what Jesus said, well, what we've got to realise is that with Jesus coming, the kingdom of God has broken into this world in, in, in a new and, and, and amazing way. Uh, the reign and rule of God has broken in in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and He is bringing, you know, when, what did He teach us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's bringing God's ways to a broken world that doesn't live in God's ways. And we're a part of that plan. So he's bringing that down. So he says, don't cry. He says, don't cry. And, uh, you know, his command to not weep is backed up by the divine power to turn weeping into joy. Because we know if you read Revelation, one of my favourite passages is that uh, at the end of time, there will, he will wipe away every tear and there will be no more tears and no more sadness and no more sickness and no more death for the old order of things will pass away. That's where we're going when the kingdom is fully fulfilled. And so Jesus, in the meantime, he's handing out hors d'oeuvres that, that are just, oh, it's like he's cooking a pig on a, on a spit and, and, and the feet, oh yeah, it's a yeah. It's like he's cooking a lamb on a spit. And, and, and the, meal's, the meal's gonna be in the future, but he just cuts off a little bit and he goes, here, have a taste of that. Have a taste of that. They're just little foretastes of the great banquet to come when God's kingdom is here in its fullness. And that's what he's doing with this woman. Don't cry. And then he's, <laughs> and amazing, see, these people know him. No one goes, who do you, do? what? They all just go, <laughs> What's he think? Who does he think he is? But shut up, don't say anything. But I've seen this fellow work, don't do anything. <laughs> just, just step back. Even his disciples had learned by then, you know, not to say anything. Don't cry. And then Jesus walks over. He walks over. He walked over to the coffin, to the buyer, to the funeral plank, and he touched it. 
and the bearers stopped. It must have been a, it's immensely countercultural. It must have blown their minds because they knew, they knew there's something about this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. They knew there was something about him, yet holy men don't touch the planks that carry dead bodies because then they're rendered unclean and they can't serve God. And, and that must be messing with them. But one of the things I love about, I love about Jesus is He's not worried about the unclean making Him unclean because His, his cleanness can make the unclean clean. I love that. I love that. And so, God, so His holiness, the, the power and presence of God with Him is able to reach out and make people whole, to, 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 to make them clean, to make them healthy, to make them free. When we read Numbers, it tells us this, all those who touch a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. All those who touch a dead body and do not purify themselves in the proper way defile the Lord's tabernacle and they will be cut off from the community of Israel. You're exiled until you're made clean again. Jesus isn't worried about that. He just reaches out because, because he, he, has, he has power to do something. He's gonna reverse the situation. He's got power to reverse the situation that's in front of him. This reaching out is part of Jesus' compassion. Never afraid of, make, of the unclean making him unclean. I love that. He makes the clean clean, makes the unclean clean. His cleanness makes others clean, makes them whole, makes them healthy, makes them free. You know, part of the holiness roots of our Pentecostal tradition uh, uh, occupied a very Christ against culture position. And so if you look historically, there's a lot of don'ts. Don't dance. Don't go to the theatre. Don't go to parties. You know, lots of, and you know, and who knows there's a wisdom about avoiding temptation. There's a wisdom about keeping apart from, from, from the unclean thing. There's a wisdom there. But sometimes, sometimes I think that those don'ts can stem from an irrational fear rather than a trust in the Spirit's power. You know, you've got to know your limitations. Some people shouldn't go to parties because they can't handle it. So their idea of strength is to avoid, to come away, that's good. But Jesus, Jesus hung, hung out in places that holy men didn't and he got bad rep for it. You know, what did they call him? A wine bibberer and a drunk. You've been called a wine bibberer? The fighting words. You know, wine bibberer and a drunkard. Um, but... But that's where, he could, that's where he could meet with people and share God's love. That's where he could meet with people and be light and salt. And so I, I, I know as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm not as scared of the unclean as once I was, if you know what I'm saying. I'm not as scared as I was. I love the words of uh, New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg. He puts it like this. If Jesus was right, that holiness can be more contagious than impurity, you hear that? That holiness can be more contagious than impurity, then we need not fear such activity. Man, I've seen it. I've seen cultures shift because there are Christians there. And the Christians do not have a license to be pains in the neck and go, you can't do that and you can't speak like that and you can't, you know, you know what it's like. Oh, I'm in situations where we play rugby and the guys will go, they'll swear and then they'll go, oh, sorry, Simon. I've never said anything about their language. They can talk how they want to. Not around my kids. 
you know, there might be boundaries. I go, hey, 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 my children. Hey, hey, we've got kids here. But, but shy of that, you know, but, but, but there's, there's something that happens when, 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 the, when the Spirit of God works among people. Imperfect people like us. Imperfect people like us. It's making sense, eh? It's good. Jesus is lovely. He's lovely. Let's, um, let's kick on. I love this. Jesus reaches out. He's rendered unclean. But in reaching out, He brings life where there had been death. And He brings hope where there had been despair. What He could bring uh, against that uncleanness was far more powerful and overwhelming than anything that could tarnish Him. And so he just, he just says to this lady, don't cry. You can imagine, she must be going, what? What, what, what are you going to do? Reaches up, touches the buyer. What happens from there? Well, let's read on. These beautiful words. He goes up to the guy. Young man, I say to you, get up. That's it. No histrionics. Elisha, Elijah had to stretch himself out three times on the young boy. Elisha had to place his staff over the face of the boy and lay over the boy. Jesus just says a word. Young man, up you get. (laughs) He sits up. Can you imagine what it must have been like? The dead man sat up and began to talk. Oh, I'd love to know what he talked about. I'd love to, seriously, I would love to know what that conversation was. I would love to have seen the look on his, mother, on his mother's face. And these beautiful words, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And that was the whole reason he went over in the first place. He saw a woman in pain. And in that time in his ministry, he walked over and he said, time to get up. Here you are, fire. Here's your boy back. And then he carried on. Amazing. See, cruel words, eh? Unless he has the power to make it happen, which he did. And again, what we have here in this poignant uh, moment is is a great dramatic example of what we read. If you remember way back in Luke chapter four, when Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth and he read from the scroll of Isaiah, you remember that? And he says, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. And the poor, the ani in Hebrew, uh, the ani, uh, poor is more than those who, who lack financial resource. The poor are those without status. They are those without power. They are outsiders. They are those who are excluded from community. They are the the powerless of society, those about whom people do not care. They do not meet the standards. And Jesus has come to preach good news to the poor. Do you think it was good news for this poor woman? See the good news coming through there. And one of the things that we find uh, when we come to the New Testament is that widows and orphans is a catchphrase for speaking about the poor. Okay, so James again. James, that most practical. uh, James, the brother of Christ and a leader in the early church, says pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. 
See that pure and genuine religion. Don't be scared of the word religion. You know, today it, it, it has that meaning, eh, of legalistic rule following, yeah? Lifeless rule following. But don't be scared of it because biblically it speaks of the ways a heart relationship with God are expressed in our lives. My religion, I'm a Christian. Doesn't bother me. That word religion doesn't bother me. I know people can be religious and what that means. That's a meaning of the word today. Religion, what's the organised faith that I follow? I'm a follower of Christ, no problem. And so here, what is it? In the sight of God the Father, caring for orphans and widows in their distress. I love this. I love this death to life, um, this, 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 this idea of death to life. I remember when, um, uh, Rachel, when Rachel was first pregnant and we miscarried uh, the first time. Uh, Rachel was, was pregnant and it really knocked us. And then we had Ruby, uh, which was wonderful. And then Rachel was pregnant again and we went to the doctors and there were some complications. And uh, the doctor had said, look, really sorry, but you've, you've, you've lost the child. And we were just broken. We just, just walked out of that place just leaning on each other. And we, we were going to go to oh, some medical clinic in town that was going to do an ultrasound and just check on stuff. And I'm thinking, gee, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm going I'm to fast for the next fortnight. I don't know. But, 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 but hope had gone. Despair was setting in. <laughs> and so Rachel lies down on the, on, on the couch and the lady puts the gel on and starts doing the ultrasound. And she goes, oh, no, there, look, there's the heartbeat. Look, there he is, the little boy. See, he's fine. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's quite dusty. It was very dusty in there, <laughs> you know. And here he is now, 14, and doing all right, doing all right in life. But the, the, you know, and we all, we we all, we all, all have our have our tragedies, and and, and we we've all. Had, had the hard times in life. But it was a, it was a, a, a moment in my life where, it, we, where you moved from that hopelessness where suddenly the future opens up and there's hope again. You know, we had moved from a place of darkness to the lights going on. And, and, and Jesus has come to do that. These little, during this ministry, we see these moments of that happening as we move towards the time when His kingdom will come in fullness. And there'll be no more tears and no more sadness and no more sin and no more insecurity and no more pain and no more violence. But nothing but love. Nothing but love. And so that's what we find as we, as we come to this beautiful story. Uh, we see that God the Father speaks about caring for orphans and widows and we as His people are to emulate that in this world. We're to represent Him in this world and be salt and light so that people know what God is like I was saying to the youth this week that, you know, Gen Z, Generation Z, those born after 95, they haven't grown up like many of the older generations with Bible in schools or going to Bible school. They haven't grown up with the Bible stories and the knowledge of the gospel. They don't have a memory of the gospel as a generation. And so often the Bible they're going to come across is going to have two arms and two legs and walk around. That's where they're going to meet God. Is through the love and acceptance of a Christian. And the Spirit will, will work through that witness and then bring them to His Word. And then, but it shows you how important it is. 
God, caring for the poor and the helpless and the powerless. Verse 16, as we come to the end of the passage, everyone there were filled with fear and praise God, I bet they did. Be something to watch a dead young man get up and go home with his mother and you're just sitting there going, what the hang? What the heck? But look at their response. A great prophet has appeared among us. One like Elijah, one like Elisha, but one who's greater. He speaks with authority. He speaks in his own authority. He, he just speaks the word and it happens. There's something about this Yeshua of Nazareth. The people know that God has visited, that, that he's drawn close to help them. I love how the message puts it. God is back looking to the needs of his people. After more than 400 years of prophetic silence, John the Baptist has wandered out of the desert saying, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way for the coming of the Lord. And the Lord has followed after him. And, and, and all of a sudden there's something new going on. God is at work and the people know it. <clears throat> Note though, as wonderful as this story is, this young man brought back to life. He's not alive now. He died. His mother died. So, so that was a blessing that they were able to enjoy in this life. But actually, Christ has come that we may know God's blessing in this life and the life to come. That it carries on in a journey. We will we know that wonderful verse in John 3.16. Uh, uh, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Not just enjoy blessing in this life, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, to go, you need to do this and you need, nah, it's not good enough. He, didn't, he did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Why? Because God the Father loves us so much. He sent His Son. You know, I look forward to the day when God gives my father back to me. Eight years since he passed. And, not a, and, and no exaggeration, not a day goes past that I don't miss that man. But he had faith in Christ and he waits for me. And I'll see him and he will give him back to me. I know, I know some of the losses that you have endured and I would love to be able to give, I don't have that power, but he does. And there'll come that time, I look forward to that time when I meet with my loved ones again. You know, think of it, God the Father. It's God the Father who loved the world so much. Later on in Luke 11, we're going to read where He says, you know, you know hey, you fathers, if your child asks, uh, if your child asks for a fish, do you give them a, a, a snake instead? Of course not. You know, and if your child asks for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? No, of course not. So if you who are evil fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? See, see, what Jesus did was an expression of the Father's heart. What, when He saw that woman, that's the Father's heart. When He reached out in compassion, that's the Father's heart operating through His Son. John 14, 9 tells us, those who have seen the Son have seen the Father. There's something about seeing Jesus in the flesh. He's a reflection 
of the heart of the Father. And so we know what God the Father is like as we look at Jesus. So in this passage where the earthly fathers, the fact that He's missing looms so large. We see Jesus expressing the Father's love. Shows us that God is a Father who sees us. Shows that God is a Father who has compassion towards us and whose heart breaks for us in our pain and suffering. And is a God who uses His power not to crush, but to lift up and to give life. May we who represent Him on this earth do the same, amen? Amen. So from here on out in the Gospel, the challenge will be, who is Jesus? Who do you say He is? Some say He's a prophet. Some say He's a good man. Who do you say Jesus is? Will you see Him as the one who sees you, who has compassion for you, whose heart breaks for you? as the one who wishes to set you free from sin and shame and guilt and fear. I ask that you would choose to follow Him today. You must choose to follow Him. No one can make that decision for you. I love these words of Toza as I come to a close. A.W. Toza, in a wonderful book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he says, the whole outlook of mankind might be changed if we could all believe that we dwell under a friendly sky and that the God of heaven, though exalted in power and majesty, is eager to be friends with us. Pastor Sheridan says it often, He likes us. He loves us, but He likes us. And He has given all so that we can come into relationship with Him and become the men and women that He longs for us to be. So God loves you, amen. He sees you. His heart is for you. He has power to save you. He has wisdom to guide you. And so I ask that you would trust in Him today. With whatever you're facing, trust your life into His hands. There are no safer hands, amen. Let me pray in closing. Lord, we love You. We thank You, Lord. Lord, where we have wrong beliefs about You, as we've heard, uh, as we heard um, Pastor Steve McCracken share that, that if we have anything in our thinking about you that, is not a, that does not have you being for us and loving us, then it's, a, it's, it's wrong. Lord, if we have any wrong thinking about you, by your Spirit, would you wash that away now? Help us to know you as a God who sees us when we feel alone, when we feel like no one understands and no one cares that you see us that You care, that You're moved and that You have power that You want to release so that our lives can come into a right order with You. Lord, I pray Your blessing upon my brothers and sisters this morning. I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you, that the Lord would make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. I pray for the fathers among us that God, You would make their hearts, hearts after Your heart. And teach us, Lord, to Father as You would have us. I pray now that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God 
in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with us all. Amen.